This is OK Boomer with Robert Rickman. And as you can hear, we're not starting the program with a lot of OK Boomers. Rather, we're starting it on a somber note with a question many Boomers can answer. Do you remember where you were November 22, 1963? I remember. It was a beautiful fall day in suburban Chicago. The temperature was in the 50s. There was no snow on the ground. And I was in sixth grade when Howie Edelman ran through the hall yelling, the president's been shot, the president's been shot. And all the kids in the class looked around at each other and they, they, they didn't know whether to believe it or not. And then a minute or so later, we heard the PA system talking about the president being shot. They had tuned into a radio station and then uh, about 10 minutes later, somebody wheeled in a big cart with a TV, one of those big black and white TVs in the room and, and we watched Walter Cronkite say the president is dead. Now we come to OK Boomer contributor Bob Smith and his wife Marcia, who hosts the trivia segment of our program called The Off-Ramp. Bob, Marsha, do you remember where you were, November 22nd, 1963? Yes, Bob. Marsha and I do remember how we heard about JFK's assassination. I was in my uh, science class, first period after lunch, and they came on with an announcement on the PA, and they said, as many of you may know, our president was in Dallas, Texas today for a parade, and he was shot and killed in a car, and I was thinking, our president? Does our school have a president? I, I remember. <laughs> you I did. I couldn't believe that. What then, grade are you in here? Seventh grade. Okay. Then I started replaying things in uh-huh. my mind that I heard at lunch hour. Oh. I remember seeing one of our phys ed teachers and another teacher in the hallway talking, and, and he goes, oh, right in the head? And I thought one of our friends had oh. fallen off the trampoline or something. Oh. That's what I thought. It's like, yeah. wow, there was an accident in the gym, you know? So all these things came to, but I remember our uh, the science teacher after that announcement that the, the president had been killed, he just put his head in his hands and then he put his head down on the desk. And I was like, wow, this is really something. You know, it's just yeah. quiet. What do we think? What do we say? Yeah. It what was terrible. And that just came so out of thin air, didn't it? We didn't oh. have a lot of crime and, and threats to leaders before that in yeah. our lives. It was life-changing. I was a couple years older than you, trophy husband. I was a freshman, and I'll always remember this. I toddled off to the local cafe at lunchtime for a cheeseburger, mm-hmm. and on the radio came the announcement, the president's been shot. And then the owner of the cafe turned on the TV, and we were kids and laborers all sitting there eating burgers. And there wasn't a sound in that place just listening to the news report about what happened. And uh, TV mounted up over the yeah, counter. Yeah, it was uh, it was very scary. Anyway, so I go back to class, and this was the, my first social enlightenment. Well, and I'll never forget. This it. was at Rufus King High School in Milwaukee. Yeah, and our school was totally integrated. We were fifty percent white, 50% African-American. That was just uh, the way it was. We did everything together, and it was uh, no big deal. But I <laughs> but I walked into that gym class, and every black girl in that class was on the floor crying. And wow. all of us white girls were standing, and I walked in, and I said, what happened? What happened? And uh, they said, the president, he's been shot and killed. And I knew that uh, already, but it didn't occur to me that this was why they were all crying. And I went, why, why is it affecting them so differently? 
And that was when a light bulb went off. All the civil rights movement and God, everything is going on. It never on. occurred to me that their life was so different than mine. I just thought we were all the same, had the same kind of life, yada, yada. But they saw that as hope. It was. He was hope. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't know it. I had no idea what they were going through until that moment. So that was quite, that was the beginning of my social enlightenment. I remember also kind of dragged through that day and you're talking to your friends and I don't even know why they kept us at school, frankly. Nothing got done. No. Um, but I remember dragging home and my mom opened the door and I said, did you know? She goes, yeah, honey, come on in. <laughs> and then we just started watching TV. And I remember the uh. TV was on for the rest of the weekend. Oh, yeah. And it was 24-7. There was. never had been television no. on on, yeah. You could never watch TV at night in those days. The stations all went off the air. Oh, you mean after midnight? Yes, after oh, midnight. Okay. They didn't stay on. Okay. And uh, that was the first time that went 24-7. Yeah. It was the first 24-7 news we were news riveted. Event. My parents were riveted. That's the reason I wanted to get into journalism and media. I remember yeah. walking through my house yeah. with a transistor radio on my ear, looking at a newspaper while glancing up at the TV and seeing, how are they covering this story? These news people. Wouldn't it be interesting to be in a situation where you knew what was going on first before anyone else. In fact, when I got to college and I was taking a final exam in journalism, the story I had to write from scratch was the assassination. Oh, really? They gave you just a list of bullet point facts, and then you had to sit down and write the story. And your exam was you know, how well you wrote that story. Well, I went to college six years later and went into radio TV because I carried that from that point on, that interest because of that experience. And everybody listening had different experiences, and I'm sure people will be interested in sharing that with their families and all, but those are things that we remember from that time. Yes. It was sad, very sad. Yes. It's the most famous recording you've never heard. Lieutenant Rebel, this is Don Mitchell of WRAJ News in Anna, Illinois, calling. Have you uh, located the assassin of President Kennedy? Uh, I think so. We, he killed one of our officers, and he was arrested shortly after. He was on the floor when the president was killed. That's a call to the Dallas, Texas Police Department on November 22, 1963. A call that for the first time revealed the name of Lee Harvey Oswald as the suspected assassin of President John F. Kennedy. We'll hear it and the story behind it coming up today on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and get some perspective on life. Today we have two unique recordings surrounding the assassination of President John F. Kennedy a half-century ago. One came from a remarkable man I worked for named Don Mitchell. Don gave me my first job after college at his small-town broadcasting operation, and soon after I joined, I discovered his station was anything but conventional, anything but normal. Somehow, Don Mitchell, my boss, was able to convince scores of famous people to grant interviews to our small 500-watt radio station. Recently on the off-ramp, we played an interview on news gathering that he did with the late, great Walter Cronkite. But Don also interviewed such luminaries as Ralph Nader, Buckminster Fuller, Bob Hope, Norman Vincent Peale, Ann Landers, and Colonel Harlan Sanders of Kentucky Fried Chicken fame. Some came to us, others he went to. 
all were convinced to spend time with Don for a recorded conversation and our little radio station benefited. That was impressive enough. But even more impressive was the fact that 10 years before I joined Don, he covered one of the biggest stories of the century, the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. And he covered it from his radio station in Anna, Illinois. Don is gone now. He passed away in 2020 at the age of 88. But two months before his death, I spoke with him by phone about that fateful day in American history. I'd like to go back to the most remarkable thing that I know you did, and that happened on November 22, 1963. Maybe you could take us back to that day, that famous phone call you made. When JFK was shot, you mean? Yes. Uh, I, I was home for lunch, and my friend called me, and he said, uh, you know, the, the, he had just heard on CBS that uh, President Kennedy was shot. I said, oh, thank you, goodbye. And five minutes later, I was at the radio station, the, the, the uh, teletype machine had gone ding, 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 you know, and Bob Daly, who was on the only person there during the noon hour, thought it was just a, a telephone ringing and ignored it. And uh, so we, we uh, rigged up a microphone to, very quickly to, to go into the teletype booth where the news was coming in, and I read the bulletins right off the... Uh, right off the wire as they came in. Uh, what kept people listening to WRAJ was uh, they thought if they turned it off, they're liable to miss something they would have liked to heard. That day you were worried they were missing something because TV was running a story and the teletype had gone dead. Yeah, and uh, I, I, we had just gotten uh, a direct dial phone service in Anna, Illinois. And I called the Dallas Police Department and asked to talk to a certain man who had been mentioned in one of the bulletins. Now, let's stop for just a moment and review. With no network radio affiliation, little WRAJ Radio had to rely on its United Press International teletype for news on President John Kennedy's assassination. And after an initial rush of bulletins, the teletype machine fell silent. It went dead offering only occasional rehashes of the first dispatches. So, frustrated, because he knew his listeners were defecting to television, Don decided he'd telephone the Dallas Police Department himself to find out what was going on. He wanted to talk with Captain Pat Ganaway, an officer who was quoted in one of those early UPI stories. Don ran a tape deck during the call and came away with one of the most remarkable recordings anyone's ever heard from that day. A correction, never heard from that day. Because the recording only aired on his little 500-watt radio station in Anna, Illinois. But he occasionally replayed it for astonished listeners for years afterward. It was definitely a different era. Because amazingly, when Don called, the Dallas police, in folksy small-town fashion, supplied him with everything he asked for, including the big unknown, the name of John F. Kennedy's alleged assassin. In fact, Dallas police were so accommodating, he had to cut their conversation short. Now, back to Don. And they said, well, he's, he's not here, but the, the man who arrested Oswald is here. You want to talk to him? I said, yes, I certainly do. <laughs> So we had about a five-minute interview about his capture. 
I'd love to play that sometime. If you would give us permission, that would be great to hear that conversation at some point. You certainly certainly have my permission to play it. So here with Don's permission is that call, the most famous historic phone call you've never heard, from November 22nd, 1963. Hello, is this Dallas Police Department? Uh, no, sir. Excuse me, I can ring. Which division did you need? May I speak to Captain Pat Ganaway, please? Long distance calling. Uh, the captain isn't in the office, sir. Uh, could you hold the line just a minute? All right. Hello, is uh, Captain Pat Ganaway there, please? No, he's not here just now. Uh, this is Lieutenant who? Revel. Revel. Lieutenant Revel, this is Don Mitchell of WRAJ News in Anna, Illinois, calling. Yes, sir. To find out, have you uh, uh, located the assassin of President Kennedy? Uh, I think so. We, he killed one of our officers, and he was arrested shortly after. Uh, he was on the floor when the president was killed. What were the circumstances when he killed the officer? Uh, I'm, I'm not familiar, too familiar with it, but I think it was a traffic violation. I see. He killed the officer, just uh, shot him uh, a couple of times. Did, um, how did you uh, get, uh, I mean, how did you know this person was the one? I tell you what, I've been so busy here trying to. I had the security on the president, so uh, I was uh, at the uh, auditorium where he was to speak, and I was uh, there when it happened. I see. And uh, all I'm getting is just uh, piecemeal information, really, uh-huh. as to what actually happened. The officer who arrested him is here. Would you like to talk to him? Yes, I certainly would. Hello, who am I speaking with, please? Uh, this is Detective Taylor. Detective Taylor. Yes, sir. Uh, did you arrest the did you, did you arrest the person who is uh, thought to be the assassin? Yes, sir. I assisted. And uh, how did it come about? Uh, we had information that he was in a theater. I see. Texas Theater in uh, Oak Cliff of Dallas. You received a tip on that? Yes. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Then what? We went to that uh, theater and went in there and found him hiding in the uh, lower uh, uh, lower floor theater. Uh-huh. Did he admit? Uh, well, uh, not readily, no, sir. Uh, he's upstairs now with our homicide uh, bureau, and they're uh, talking to him. I don't know whether he's admitted it yet or not. I see. Did he uh, shoot one of your officers inside the theater? Sir? Did he shoot and kill one of your officers oh, inside sir, the theater? Was, uh, before, we, before he went to the theater, he shot and killed one of our officers. How did he happen to do that? Was this a traffic violation? Uh, or was, uh, I understand a traffic violation. The officer stopped him and he uh, he shot him. I see. And um, what, uh, he is being uh, held up upstairs. Do you have his name? Sir? Do you have his name? Uh, yes, sir. What is his name? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald. O-S-W-A-L-D. O-S-W-A-L-D. What is his age? Uh, I'm not sure. He's approximately 23 or 4 years old. 23, 24? That's just by appearance now. I don't know. I see. White male? Uh, yes. And uh, where is he from? I don't have that, sir. I see. Do you know, did he give any reason? I mean, do you have any idea why he might have shot the president if he did? Well, no, sir. Uh, Like I say, we haven't, uh, we took him, we brought him straight down here and uh, released him to... Captain Will Fritz of our Homicide Bureau. Uh-huh. What time did he take him into custody? Uh, approximately, oh, I'd say approximately 2 o'clock. Approximately 2 p.m. 2 p.m. Uh, what time do you have there now? Uh, uh, 3.30 here. 3.30, an hour and a half ago then? Uh, approximately, yes. Sir. I see. And uh, he uh, apparently uh, ran a stoplight or something and attracted the attention? Uh, apparently. I, that's still uh, uh, very vague. Uh, like I say, we haven't talked to him, and uh, we, we got him out of the theater with the, with the pistol, mm-hmm. and uh, he attempted to shoot one of our officers in the theater, but the pistol clicked, and it didn't it didn't fire, mm-hmm. and we took him out of the theater and brought him directly to Captain Will Fritz. 
Captain, that is our homicide officer. Captain Will Fritz is the homicide officer. Yes, and they have him up there now talking to him. Uh, had any assassination attempt been expected today? Uh, no, sir, none. None uh, expected? No, sir. Uh, we the... had approximately 300 or 350 uh, city officers on it, plus the uh, state, plus, uh, uh, plus all the federal officers that were here. So it was well... Uh, it was well uh, guarded. Uh-huh. Uh, where is he thought to have shot the president from? Uh, out of a window in a uh, in a building near uh, near the courthouse. It's a, I'm not sure what the name of the building is. It's a it's a fairly large building, mm-hmm. and it's uh, just as he made the corner and turned to go to the trademark where he was going to uh, have the dinner. What sort of weapon do you think he used? Uh, they found a rifle in the. Uh, uh, a high-powered rifle with a scope in the uh, in the room that the shot was fired from. Mm-hmm. Had any uh, what kind of rifle it was? Had any precautions been taken uh, as far as inspecting windows and and buildings along the route, that type of thing? Well, I'm not sure. I'm sure that probably there was. Uh, uh, I was assigned the trademark, and uh, I don't know uh, just what all was uh, uh, done downtown. I'm sure that it was checked. Uh, I see. Now, what was your name again, sir? E.E. Uh, e. Taylor. E.E. E. Taylor, and you are a, a detective? Detective, yes. In the Dallas Police Force. Yes. Thank you very much. Uh, Speaking if to you'd you. like some more information, I could uh, maybe have you transferred upstairs. Uh, I don't know. Uh, they're pretty busy up there. I don't know where they'd want to talk uh, to you about. What is, what is their extension? I'll try later. Uh, let me get it for you. All right. Please just ask for the Homicide and Robbery uh, Bureau. All right, sir. Thank you very much. Detective E.E. E. Taylor of the Dallas Police Department at 3.30 this afternoon that the president was assassinated. Thank you, WRAJ News. Wow. Did you think on your feet that day, Don? You were asking all these questions about his height, his race, how he was arrested, what weapon did they think he used, did he resist? You ask all these questions that, in the shock of the assassination, many professionals might have just forgotten. But you didn't. You had the audacity to make the call, and you got the Dallas Police Department to talk to you, Don, on this horrible day where the world's falling apart. You got them to talk to you, and they gave you the name of the suspect in the assassination, just like you got all these other famous people to talk to you. What in the world was your secret? How did you get them to speak to you? Well, you know, in a simple answer, just ask. (laughs) Just amazing how you did that. Well, it's just amazing how easy it is to navigate through people. uh, If you know where you're going and are very well prepared... Uh, make a reasonable request to them. It's amazing how easy it is to get people to do your answers. And uh, whenever you call anywhere from Illinois, people assume you are from Chicago. (laughs) (laughs) And so they thought I was from a big-time radio station. And uh, as soon as we completed that, we played that tape on the air, And then I called the uh, UPI National Bureau, which was in Chicago at that time, and told them I had the name of uh, the the assassin. Yes, that was the first time that the UPI had the name was from you. Nobody knew at the time. Yeah. Moments after UPI in Chicago heard that call, teletypes jerked into action spelling out the name of Lee Harvey Oswald for the very first time. From a tiny station in Anna, Illinois, Don Mitchell had scooped the wire services and the White House press corps, and he didn't stop there. 
In the weekend following the assassination, he called the home of Abraham Zapruder and spoke to the amateur photographer who took the famous film footage of Kennedy's assassination. He telephoned other witnesses as well. Don Mitchell will forever be associated with the Kennedy assassination and the news coverage of that day for the five-minute call with the officer who arrested Lee Harvey Oswald and because he preserved all of the wire service copy from that day. Uh, eventually, I saved all of that news copy, and that's now on file in, in a uh, museum library uh, here in Texas, which is interesting because each bulletin carried the time. So uh, I think it may be of some historic interest in, in the future. I recently saw some of Don's teletype copy with my former station's call letters. It hung alongside a teletype at the Sixth Floor Museum at Dealey Plaza, the museum of the JFK assassination in Dallas. Do you have his name? Sir? Do you have his name? Uh, yes, sir. What is his name? Uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, O-S-W-A-L-D. Eventually, that name would be burned into the pages of history, and Don Mitchell's call is what helped make that possible. By the way, Don Mitchell is memorialized on the Sixth Floor Museum's website, where he's listed as one of the earliest reporters to broadcast the name of suspect Lee Harvey Oswald. You're listening to a special edition of The Off-Ramp, with historic recordings from the assassination of John F. Kennedy in November 1963. We'll continue with more in just a moment. Hey everybody, it's the White Raven from the Hot 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 Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the Gumbo Pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. TechTime also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, TechTime is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's TechTime.it. TechTime. IT. And if you're looking for a first-class Italian translator, check out Laura Squigna. It's spelled S-G-U-I-G-N-A. Laura Squigna, and you can find her on the Tech Time website under Translators. Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The, the Off-Ramp. Off-Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. You're listening to a special edition of The Off-Ramp 
We continue with special recordings of news coverage of the assassination of John F. Kennedy in November 1963. Our next unique recording comes thanks to Dave Eliason, the late Dave Eliason, who was a news director at the Iowa radio station where I worked in the 1970s, KDTH. Dave was a media enthusiast as a young man and had his own audio tape recorder at the time of JFK's assassination. You have to remember, back then, there was no such thing as home video. Dave saw the significance of what he was watching on television and made a move to preserve it. He did so by recording the audio soundtrack to that tragedy from television. I discovered this in 1978 when I was doing a montage of historic recordings surrounding the assassination. Dave told me he had something he thought might help and brought in a box of reel-to-reel recordings from that weekend. I took the tapes into our production room and waded through them one afternoon, listening to hour after hour of coverage on the ABC, CBS, and NBC television networks. I put Dave's recordings and mine together to produce this montage. Two years ago, I said that uh, introduced myself in Paris by saying that I was the man who had accompanied uh, Mrs. Kennedy to Paris. I'm getting that somewhat that same sensation uh, as I travel around uh, Texas. Nobody wonders what Lyndon and I wear. <laughs> President Kennedy is offered a large Texas hat. I'll put it on in the uh, White House on Monday. If you'll come up there, you'll have a chance to see it there. a few minutes ago, the President of the United States turned from Houston Street onto Elm Street on his way to a scheduled luncheon appearance at the Stemmons Trademark. As the President turned, applause broke out from a sparse crowd on both sides of the street, and as he went by the Texas School Book Depository, headed for the triple underpass, there were three loud reverberating explosions. Nobody moved. Everyone seemed stunned. A few seemed to look around, wondering who has the firecrackers. Then suddenly the Secret Service men sprang into action. The convertible bearing the President and Mrs. Kennedy sped away, and officers, both plainclothes and uniformed, seemed to spring from everywhere at once, guns drawn, ordering people to lie flat. There are two witnesses who were near the President's car at the time of the explosions who say that shots were fired from which upper window we do not know. We do not and cannot confirm the reports at this time that the President has been shot. One witness says he definitely was shot, that he was hit twice, that he saw the President slump in his seat. As I say, this is not confirmed at this time. From where I am, the police have two witnesses. They are bringing them in now. I'm in the Texas School Book Depository Building. They're bringing some witnesses in now. We will try to learn further and relay word to the station. Stay tuned for further details. This is Pierce Allman from the Texas School Book Depository Building for WFAA News. Put me on, Phil. Put me on. Phil, am I on? We're here at the trademark. The motorcade is coming by here. I can see many, many motorcycles coming by now. Police motorcycles. Just heard a call on the radio for all units along industrial to pick up the motorcade. Something has happened here. We understand there has been a shooting. The presidential car coming up now. We know it's the presidential car. You can see Mrs. Kennedy's pink suit. There's a Secret Service man spread eagle over the top of the car. 
We understand Governor and Mrs. Connolly are in the car with President and Mrs. Kennedy. We can't see who has been hit, if anybody's been hit, but apparently something is wrong here. Something is terribly wrong. I'm in behind the motorcade, trying to follow them. It looks as though they're going to Parkland Hospital. We're on the road to Parkland at this time. And I thought about it. And I gave it a great deal of thought, Grandpa. Here is a bulletin from CBS News. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade in downtown Dallas. The first reports say that President Kennedy has been seriously wounded by this shooting. More details just arrived. These details about the same as previously. President Kennedy shot today just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy. She called, oh no, the motorcade sped on. We interrupt this program for a bulletin. President Kennedy and Governor John Connolly of Texas were both hit by a would-be assassin's bullet as they toured downtown Dallas in an open automobile a short while ago. That is the latest word that had just come in from Dallas on United Press International. Uh, the Associated Press in its first report says that President Kennedy was shot just as his motorcade left downtown Dallas. Mrs. Kennedy, who was riding with him, jumped up and grabbed Mr. Kennedy and cried, Oh, no. The motorcade sped on. Riding in the same car with the president for this particular motorcade was Governor and Mrs. John B. Connolly, the governor of the state of Texas. According to the last report, both the president and the governor were hit by the bullets. And now one more ad has come in. John Fitzgerald Kennedy, the 35th president of the United States is dead at the age of 46, shot by an assassin as he drove through the streets of Dallas, Texas, less than an hour ago. From Dallas, Texas, the flash, apparently official, President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Central Standard Time. Vice President Lyndon Johnson <clears throat> has left the hospital in uh, Dallas, but we do not know uh, to where he has proceeded. Uh, presumably, he will be taking the oath of office shortly and become uh, the 36th president of the United States. He was coming down the street, and my five-year-old boy and myself were by ourselves on the grass there on Palmer Street. And I asked Joe to wave to him, and Joe waved, and I waved, and the man... The man... That's all right, sir. You waved. As he, as he was waving back, he was... He was the shot rang out, and he slumped down in the seat, and his wife reached up toward him, and as he, as he was slumping down, and the second shot went off, and it just knocked him down from, from the seat. The two shots. Two shots. Did you see the man who did the... No, sir, I did not see the man who did it. I, I, all, I, all I did was look in the man's face when he was shot there and saw that expression on his face and grab himself and slide. And the second one, whenever it went, why, I'm positive it hit him. I hope it didn't, but I'm positive that it hit him, and, it's, and he went all the way down in the car. Then they speeded up, and I didn't know what was going on, so I just grabbed the boy and fell on him in hopes that there wasn't a maniac around here. I'm sorry. I can't help you more, but I, I won't forget Ladies and gentlemen, we have a press report over the wires. We hope that it is unconfirmed, but we have to doubt it, that the President of the United States has been the victim of an assassination. No. 
We will play the funeral march from Beethoven's Third Symphony. The tragedy of this day is beyond instant comprehension. All of us who knew him will bear the grief of his death to the day of ours. And all men everywhere who love peace and justice and freedom will bow their heads. At such a moment, we can only turn to prayer. What was your reaction, sir? Well, I'm shocked, like the rest of the people are shocked. And how will it affect your plans, sir? Uh, I don't think it will affect my plans at all, and I don't want to discuss it. Yes, sir, have you had any chance to discuss this with no, anyone? Nobody, to nobody, and I don't care to discuss it. Uh-huh. And what are your plans, sir, when you leave Muncie? Going back to Washington. Sir, how do you think this will affect the operation of government? Oh, let's not talk about it, mister. The president's been shot. I don't care to discuss politics on a day like this. Thank you. I share the sense of shock and dismay that the entire nation must feel at the despicable act that took the life of the nation's president. This is a sad time for all people. We have suffered a loss that cannot be waived. For me, it is a deep personal tragedy. I know that the world shares the sorrow that Mrs. Kennedy and her family bear. I will do my best. That is all I can do. I ask for your help and God's. And here comes Lee Harvey Oswald. His back is to you, you can't quite see him. His face is still... Basic fundamental hygienic uh, rights, I mean, like the shower and the clothes. These people have given me a hearing without legal representation or anything. I didn't shoot anybody, no, sir. Chief Curry, could you detail for us what led you to Oswald? Not exactly, except... uh, in the building, we uh, when we uh, went to the building, uh, he was observed in the building at the time. But the manager told us that he worked there. You think the smudge? He was fin- in the- you think the smudge fingerprints that have been found on the rifle which killed the president will be able to establish the identity of the killer? We hope so, but I couldn't say. Has he made any admissions at all about no. the shooting of the police officer? No, Nothing. he denies everything. Why do you think the police officer went to him in the street? What was the reason? I think he suspected him because of a description that has been put out on the radio. On the police radio. Chief Curry, when you first uh, knew of the Dallas policeman dead, uh, what then led you to the theater? What information did you have from there? I understand that someone called... I think the ticket taker from the theater called. Chief, do you have... We did not have... You were not informed. We had not been informed of this man. Chief, do you have any concern for the safety of your prisoner in view of the high feeling among the people of Dallas over the assassination of the president? No, but precautions necessary... Precautions will be taken, of course, but I'm not... uh, I don't think that... uh, that the people are right. try to take the prisoner away from us. Now the prisoner uh, wearing a black sweater, he has changed from his T-shirt, is being uh, moved out toward an armored car, being led out by uh, Captain Fritz. There is the prisoner. Do you have anything to say in your defense? There's a shot. Oswald has been shot. 
Buswell has been shot. A shot rang out. Mass confusion here. Holy mackerel. There's a mass confusion there. Rolling and fighting. As he was being led out, now he's being led back. He was thrown to the ground. The police have the entire area blocked off. Did you see it? Eh? What happened? Yeah, I saw the guy. There's a man, a rather stocky man with a hat on. A dark... Um, stocky man with a hat yeah, on? he rushed, he crashed, and he shot him there. And I saw the flash, and the Oswald said, oh! And that's it. Oswald doubled over. There was a big struggle on the ground. Just a moment earlier, I had, no doubt foolishly, jumped in front of him to get in a last question to ask him what happened, whether he had anything to say in his defense, and then a split second later, the shot rang out. An ambulance uh, has arrived. They are rushing a mobile stretcher in. Oswald is, was carried back into the uh, hallway. Here is young Oswald now. He is being hustled in. He is lying flat. He, to me, he appears dead. There is a gunshot wound in his lower abdomen. He is white. Pull the top down there, yelling. Here's the driver. Let the driver by. Oswald, white, lying in the ambulance. His head is back. He is out, unconscious. Dangling. His hand is dangling over the uh, edge of the stretcher. And now the ambulance is moving out. The flashing red lights. Here are some police officials. Who was he? Jack Ruby is the name. Jack Ruby? Ruby. Club. Carousel Club. He runs the Carousel Club? Oswald expired at 1.07 p.m. He died at 1.07 p.m. We have arrested the man. The man will, will be charged with murder. The body of the late President Kennedy lay in state overnight in the great rotunda of the Capitol. A quarter of a million stricken Americans came from near and far, waited hours in the cold and darkness to pay their final tribute, and 10,000 were still in line when the Capitol's massive bronze doors quietly closed at 9 o'clock this morning. The people at the curb are silent. They say nothing. They simply watch. There is some movement now on the sidewalks. People who were at the Capitol watch the casket carried down and placed on the caisson are now beginning to stream up the sidewalk toward the White House. This is the Air Force Band. Mrs. Kennedy now standing with her brother-in-law, the Attorney General, has moved forward as she has moved to within three or four feet of the bronze casket. 
her veil gently blowing in this breeze. The troops will be brought to present arms, and a 21-gun salute will be sounded. Robert Kennedy has brought Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy to a position directly in front of the casket and next to it.
to all intents and purposes, is over. Thus, for Mrs. Jacqueline Kennedy, the most difficult day in a series of tragic days is drawing to its inevitable close. The former First Lady, heart deeply grieving, has turned from a last long look at the casket bearing the remains of her husband. John F. Kennedy has been laid to rest. And there you have it. My thanks to the late Dave Eliason for those recordings from the weekend of the JFK assassination and all of the events surrounding it. And my thanks again to Don Mitchell for granting us our interview and for letting us feature his interview with the Dallas Police Department from November 22, 1963. Thanks a lot, Bob and Marsha, for that excellent report. Yes, it was sober for this first part of the program, but John F. Kennedy was known for his sense of humor, and that also inspired comedians. Let's listen now to the lighter side of Camelot. I'll tell you what. Let's call up for a pizza. I can't do that. I can't uh, call up and say, this is the President of the United States. Send up a sausage pizza. Just to... Don't tell them who you are. Just tell them to send it to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. I don't know if I can do that. Well, let's do something. This is Bob Smith. And I'm Marcia Smith. That's a cut from a comedy album from 1963 during the administration of President John F. Kennedy. It was called The First Family. That was released six decades ago. Yes. You remember that, don't I you? I do. I do. It was hilarious. Everybody liked it. Teenagers, uh, everybody, old people. And everybody liked it regardless of party because it was a different time oh, yeah. back then. Yeah. We could laugh and joke about presidents. Uh And now as we look back 60 years on the assassination of John F. Kennedy, we want to first remember why he was such a popular president and how humor played a great role in that affinity people had for him. We'll explore that today on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marsha Smith. Welcome to the off-ramp, a chance to slow down, steer clear of crazy, and take a side road to sanity with Bob and Marcia Smith. There was a time when presidential humor meant something entirely different than it does today. It wasn't late-night comedians telling snarky jokes about people they hate. It was humor, real humor, that was even-handed, bipartisan, and hilarious for people of all ages. This shows a uh, rate of uh, economic growth, and therefore... It is not with uh, too much concern that I say a uh, raise from uh, 25 to 35 is not completely out of accord when compared with the uh, current uh, financial deficit on hand. Now, I trust that answers your uh, question about your weekly allowance, Caroline. (laughs) So, Marcia, what's your remembrance of JFK? We were young kids at the time. Yeah. So what was your impression of him? He He was like a wit. Yeah. I mean, he had good wit. Very funny. I don't know even if my parents voted for him. 
you know, we didn't sit around the table talking about politics, but I thought he was uh, good looking. Yeah. I thought his wife had a funny voice. Yeah, she did have a funny voice. <laughs> she talked like this. And um, But he had a movie star quality to he him. He did. He was, he was uh, beguiling and very witty, and uh, I found that charming. I think that's what we all thought of him. I, my folks didn't vote for him either, but they liked him. They thought it was funny. I remember watching press conferences with my dad, and he'd say something funny, and my dad would laugh. Now, did you know, I just discovered this, he did 64 press conferences in his term. He was only president for 1,000 days, less than three years. 64, that's one press conference every 16 days. They were all live. And if you look at the videotapes, there's like a, a auditorium of like 500 people. It was huge. It wasn't these little press rooms they use now. Oh, really? It was some big auditorium they did. I didn't at. realize that. 16. So he was on TV all the time. We saw him on the news every night, every two weeks. Well, that was smart. That's that. why he seemed to be ubiquitous. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And every press conference, there seemed to be one or two moments when there was something funny because somebody asked something that uh, he yeah. could poke fun at. Well, he could deflect and he could, he was very witty. He was good at deflecting. Yes. I remember one where a woman asked about equal rights for women. Uh-huh. It went something like this. Mr. President, the democratic platform in which you ran for election promises to work for equal rights for women, including equal pay, to wipe out job opportunity discriminations. Now, you have made efforts on behalf of others. What have you done for the women according to the promises of the platform? Well, I'm sure we haven't done enough, and uh, <laughs> I must say I am a, a strong believer in equal pay uh, for equal work, and uh, I think that uh, uh, we ought to uh, do better than we're doing, and I'm glad that you reminded me of it, Miss Craig. <laughs> <laughs> he answered the question eventually, but funny, huh? And he seems to do this more with female reporters. Here's another one. Mr. President, your brother Ted recently on television said that after seeing the cares of office on you that he wasn't sure he'd ever be interested in being the president. I wonder if you could tell us whether if you had it to do over again, you would uh, work for the presidency and whether you can recommend the job to others. Uh, well, the answer is, uh, the first is yes, and the second is no. I don't recommend it to others. <laughs> At least for a while. There was a trip to Ireland where he spoke to people and a very charming way he handled the crowd there. There is an impression in Washington that there are no Kennedys left in Ireland, that they're all in Washington. And uh, so I wonder if there are any uh, Kennedys in this audience. Could you hold up your hand so I can see? Well, I'm glad to see a few cousins who didn't catch the boat. We're glad to see you. <laughs> Missed the boat. <laughs> Isn't that great? And uh, most of that was just off-the-cuff stuff. He, well, was, yeah. he had a natural wit. So it was only natural for people to come up with a record album about that. Uh -huh. You know, it's like, well, yeah. here's a guy who's got a sense of humor, and he laughs at himself. We could laugh with him. Yeah. And that was Earl Dowd, who was a comedy writer who had written for many people, including... Jackie Gleason, Bob Hope, Bob and Ray, and, and even went on to write for Welcome Back, Cotter. He was oh, around yeah? for a long time. Wow. Yeah. In 1982, I interviewed him, and uh, we talked about this album, The First Family. How did the first family album with Vaughn Meter back in the 1960s, the one you produced first off on this line, how did that get uh, its idea? Where'd you get that from? Well, uh, actually, I saw Vaughn on a talent scout show. 
on one of the networks, and he did the president, of course, doing the press conference. And then the JFK coloring book had come out around that time. Do you remember that? The JFK coloring book? No, I don't think so. Uh, well, it was a coloring book with all the family in it, and I, I thought, gee, you know, what a great family, and how can, there must be a way to do them, you know. And then I thought, a record album, gee, that would be really exciting. So it was a JFK coloring book, and Vaughn's appearance, and he did a remarkable Kennedy, as you remember, Bob. Yes, that's right. And it was a combination of those two things that threw me into it. There's a Mr. Foster of the Internal Revenue Service to see you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I see uh, the tax bill. Send him in. I'm from the Internal Revenue Service, and I'm here to investigate the 1962 tax return of Mr. John F. Kennedy. <laughs> uh, he was here just a few minutes ago. I, I just, don't, just don't know where he could have gone. I'll get right to the point. How much did you make last year? You know, he was as close to me as you are now. <laughs> I just don't know where he could have disappeared please, sir, to Please, sir, please, sir, your 1962 return? Oh, yes, my 1962 return, certainly. I made... Uh, what do presidents get? $100,000 a year. So that's where the 100000 came from. <laughs> it's a funny thing, Jackie and I were going over the household budget. There was, there was this 100000 we couldn't account for. <laughs> Now, what can I do for you? Are you salaried or self-employed? Salaried, for the moment. <laughs> okay, now let's check your deductions. Under medical expenses, I see you have 23 rocking chairs. Now, you must admit, sir, 23 rocking chairs is a bit much. Let's settle for eight. Ten. Nine. That's a deal. <laughs> now, you, uh, you show restaurant bills here for $371,000 and only $3 in tips. I'm from New England. Well, I never thought of that, yeah. Now, let's see about your itemized list of travel deductions. Uh, Washington to Palm Beach to Washington to Hyannisport to Washington to Palm Beach to Washington to Hyannisport to Washington. Yes, but you'll notice the next day I didn't go anywhere. <laughs> In, in the album, uh, a lot of people always wonder, do you have to get permission from the principals you're portraying them? Yeah, well, no, I, I never do that, because I'm always afraid they're going to say, let me hear it, and then they'll not like something. The AP correspondent who used to say, thank you, Mr. President, at the end of the press conferences, he told me that President Kennedy kept a record player in his desk drawer, and he'd call people into the room, and he'd pull out the desk drawer, and he'd say, listen to this, and then he'd play them a cut from it. <laughs> so we know that he liked the album very much, the first first family. I take it you never got to talk with him about the album that that I never time. did. No, I uh, we were supposed to go to the inaugural and appear there, and uh, Von Meter cut some radio spots down there, as saying that uh, I listened to, it and then he'd give the call letters. And everybody thought it was Kennedy because he didn't identify himself. We didn't know he'd done this, and. Pierre Solinger got a little miffed about it. We were canceled out. So I never did get to meet him. And we know that Jackie didn't like it. Oh, is that right? How do you know that? I went to, uh, I went to the Paris Theater in New York to see Divorce Italian Style three nights before I recorded The First Family. And Jackie Kennedy was sitting three rows in front of me, surrounded by Secret Service. And uh, she didn't laugh at all during that picture which was a pretty funny picture. I thought, well, I'm not going to show her this script, right? 
what I wanted to say here, this is all about you, and we're going to record it, but I didn't want to take that chance. <laughs> now, in her book, you know, I was a little rough on her in the White House tour. You remember that. Right. Follow me down this hall to the next room. As we go, I should like to point out the various paintings on the wall. Yes, I wish you would point them out. Well, there's this one and this one. <laughs> And that great big one over there. And this little teeny one down here. And finally this one over here. Thank you for pointing them out. What's in this room over here? I believe we are standing in front of the President Monroe conference room. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. Oh, my darling. It's so easy to get confused. It's such a big house. <laughs> now I believe straight ahead of us is the blue room. Yes, this is the blue room. We decided to leave it just the way President Blue had it originally. Pardon me, I seem to have uh, made the uh, wrong turn somewhere. Now I'm trying to... Uh... <laughs> find the bedroom. I just came out of the uh, John Hancock bathroom where I was uh, taking a shower in the Alexander Hamilton bathtub. And I think the that... The carpenters uh, and painters here have been just the, uh, working like beavers around the, the clock. But... The bedroom. The bedroom is where? Oh, I, don't, I should like to point out that I am... Uh, <laughs> I, am uh, I am standing here in my shorts uh, dripping wet. Now I've... Uh, I've got an important conference in uh, 15 minutes, so I must be dressed in uh, 10 minutes, which means I shall have to uh, move ahead uh, toward our bedroom with great vigor. Uh, wasn't that your husband? Yes, it was. He's a magnificent-looking man. Yes, and we decided to leave him just the way he was originally. Thanks for listening, and join us again next time when we return with Trivia on The Off-Ramp with Bob and Marcia Smith. The Off-Ramp is produced in association with CPL Radio Online and the Cedarburg Public Library, Cedarburg, Wisconsin. And that wraps it up. Thanks very much to Bob and Marcia Smith for this excellent report. Also, I'd like to honor the memory of Dave Eliason and Don Mitchell, my former boss at WRAJ during the 70s. Also, I'd like to thank Robert DiCaprio for allowing me to use his time slot for this special program at 10 o'clock on Wednesday morning. And big thanks goes out to Janice Paul. OK Boomer is recorded in the studios of WDBX in Carbondale, Illinois, and also broadcast on WRFN Radio in Nashville, Tennessee. You can find us on any place you can find your podcast at OK Boomer with Robert. Also, check us out on Facebook and robertrickman.net.